As we begin our message today, I want to start with a few famous last words. So these are some last words that were either the last recorded words of some people or some of the things that uh, we know that they said before they breathed their last. Notradamus, who was this fairly controversial figure who predicted a whole bunch of things, some that came true, a lot that didn't, uh, he predicted, tomorrow at sunrise I shall no longer be here. And that one he did get right. So the next morning he had passed away and uh, that was it for Nostradamus. Leonardo da Vinci was very modest. and He said, I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality that it should have. And I think we can all agree that Leonardo da Vinci could have tried just a little bit harder. But amazing man. But uh, he felt like, nah, could have done a little bit better. Sir Isaac Newton was also someone who's very humble. His last words were, I don't know what I may seem to the world, but as to myself, I seem to have only been like a boy playing on the seashore and diverting myself now and then in finding a smoother pebble or a prettier shell than the ordinary, whilst the great ocean of truth lay all undiscovered before me. Which is pretty poetic. So again, Isaac Newton, this amazing man who discovered all this stuff but said, no, nah, it's just like picking up a few rocks all of the truth and all the mysteries of the world were still out there. And so Winston Churchill's last words were, I'm bored with it all. And that was it. What would you like your last words to be? If you had an opportunity to know that you could say some final parting words just before you pass from this life into the next, what sorts of things would you love to be able to say to your loved ones or to people that are around you? For Jesus... We've actually got two sets of last words that he said. His final words on the cross before he died were these beautiful words, it is finished, as Roger talked about last week around the communion table. Jesus recognised that the mission that he'd been given by God had been completed as he died on the cross. And so he said it is finished and he breathed his last, recognising that he'd done everything necessary for us to have a full and complete relationship with God. But then we know that wasn't the end of the story. And so Jesus then comes back to life in his resurrection that we celebrate on Easter Sunday. And he then spent some time with his disciples, with his closest followers and his friends over a period of a number of weeks. Uh, And then as he was leaving to go up to heaven to set up home there, he utters these words that we're focused on today as his last words that we have recorded. And it's interesting that in the verses that come just before this, we're told that Jesus was with his disciples up the top of this mountain. And so they've had all of these amazing experiences and we're told that a bunch of them were worshipping Jesus, which kind of makes sense. If you'd been through everything that they'd been through and you'd spent time with Jesus, you would probably be in a place where you'd be saying, Jesus, you're so amazing, you're so incredible, I can't believe all that you've done for us. But what's interesting is that it doesn't just say there's all these people up there worshipping Jesus, but it also says that some of them doubted, which I find absolutely fascinating. Can you imagine if you had spent all this time with Jesus, some of them, over a period of three years, and then you get to the point where you see Jesus go through the events that lead up to Easter, you see him die on the cross, you then see him come back to life, you see the empty tomb, you spend time with him as the resurrected Jesus, And yet some of them still doubted. 
It's pretty amazing that we have that recorded in Scripture, but it's really, really beautiful for a couple of reasons. First of all, this is a part of how we know that we can trust what we have recorded, particularly in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, these biographies about Jesus. Because if you were setting out to write a book to prove that Jesus was the Son of God and that he'd done all of this stuff, then you probably wouldn't include lines like, and some of them doubted. You would say all of them were 100% convinced, absolutely, that Jesus was who he said he was, end of story. And so this is a part of how we know that scripture is just genuine accounts that people wrote. But it's also encouraging for us because as we talked about last week with our Q&A Sunday, we recognise that all of us are on a journey and all of us have questions and at times we have doubts as well. And in those moments, Jesus doesn't say, would you get your act together? Like, come on, how can you not believe me? He welcomes us. He says, come and spend time with me, continue to journey, continue to move forward together. And so it's beautiful that that's included just before these words that we read. And so now imagine that you are Jesus and you know this is it. You're on top of this mountain with your disciples and you know know these are the last words that you're going to say to them. What do you think that you would say? Would you try to remind them of a key truth? Whatever you do, guys, don't forget this. Make sure that you remember this thing that I've told you. Would you encourage them to make sure that they focus on something? No matter what you do, make sure that you go and do this or make sure you go and spend time here. Maybe you would give them a bit of a warning. Whatever happens, make sure that you don't go down this path or that you don't get involved in this. What would you say if you were Jesus to these disciples as your last words? Well, as we've read, what Jesus does say is a clear mandate, a mission that he gives to his disciples. These beautiful words that are recorded in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, that we understand as something called the Great Commission. This commission that Jesus gives his disciples and then all the way through to us in terms of what it means for us to follow him. So, I'll read it again. Verse 18 Jesus drew near to his disciples who are all standing around on this mountain and said, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Go then to all people everywhere and make them my disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you and I'll be with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus says, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. There is now nothing that is not under the servant-hearted leadership of King Jesus. He is the most powerful entity in the entire universe, in heaven and on earth. There's nothing that's more powerful than Jesus, nothing that has more authority than Jesus. And so what does Jesus say he wants his disciples to do with this authority that's been given to them? Well, he says, go. But in actual fact, it's better translated as, as you go. Jesus isn't saying, okay, you need to pick yourselves up and head out. There's a clear implication in what Jesus is saying, that they're already going to go, that they're going to go and spend time with people and live their lives and do the things that they need to do. And so when we read go here, it's better to actually understand it as, as you go. And he says, make disciples. That's what your role is as people who are following me individually and together. And we talked earlier about how making disciples can be understood as making uh, students, which is really, really good, student, a learner. But whenever I think about students, I often think back to school days and think of sitting, listening, writing down notes, making sure I write down the important notes so that when the test comes, I can make sure that I pass the test because I've got the right answers to things. 
And sadly, many people have translated discipleship following Jesus as the same thing, that our role and our responsibility is to make sure that we're remembering the right things and that we're doing the right things. And then when the test comes, we hope that we can pass the test and then God will accept us. But discipleship is actually far better understood as apprenticeship. And so when you think about the difference between a student and an apprentice, you probably think about how much more practical it is to be an apprentice. A student, generally speaking, sits, as I said, and listens and takes notes. But an apprentice is putting all of that into practice immediately, trying to learn on the job, learn on the way, trying to master these skills that they're being taught by the person who is apprenticing them. And that's really what discipleship is all about, is us learning from Jesus about how to live our lives. We're apprentices who are trying to put into practice the stuff that Jesus teaches us, the stuff that Jesus wants us to be able to understand about how to live our lives so that we can become more and more like him. So Jesus says, as you go, make apprentices of me. Help people to understand more about who I am, what I've done, and what it means to live the way that I've created you to live. He then says, baptise these people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit which is this beautiful symbol that we've got, that when people make a decision to say, yes, I want to follow Jesus, yes, I want to be an apprentice to Jesus, then we symbolically go through the waters of baptism where we say, I'm washed clean. Everything that I've ever done is completely forgiven. Everything I'm going to do is completely forgiven because of Jesus. And we symbolically go under the water and then come back up out of the water, symbolically saying, I die to my way of living and choose to come to life to follow Jesus and what he's got planned for me. So Jesus says, baptise people, which is why we love being able to do that, and teaching them to obey, which again is not teaching as in cognitive just learn stuff, but teaching them to obey the things that I have taught you together. Understand what it looks like to follow me and put that stuff into practice. Do that as you move forward and as you go out. What's amazing is that Jesus then wraps that up by saying, and I will be with you always. We don't do this on our own, but we do it recognising that Jesus goes with us. And so we can understand that this is called the Great Commission because it's a commission that we're given. We can also understand it as the Great Co-mission, that this is a mission that we're given where we're not sent to do this stuff on our own. We're sent to do this with Jesus, empowering us, strengthening us, assisting us, directing us, showing us where we need to live our lives. So, as a church, as we start this year, why are we here? That's the answer. We're here to make disciples. We're here to make apprentices of Jesus, to help each other follow Jesus, learn more about him, and be able to live the way that he wants us to live. The challenge is, what does that actually mean? And what does that look like? And there are lots and lots of different ways of being able to articulate that. And so for us as a church, we came up last year with three clear statements that we think help us to understand what's most important for us as a church as we seek to make disciples. And so we're going to unpack this over the next few weeks. So today's going to be a real quick overview, which is familiar to some of you, but for others it's going to be new. And last year we put out this little document that has a summary of all of that. And so out in the foyer there are some of these. And so if you want to grab one of these, you can read a little bit more about it. And if you want to take that home and spend some time saying, oh, this is what we're about as a church, we'd love you to grab one of those. 
But today, as I said, we're going to do a very quick overview of what that looks like, and then each week, over the next three weeks, we're going to unpack each of these in more detail. So for us as a church, when we talk about what it means to be a church who makes disciples, we came up with this statement to say that we are a Jesus-centred spiritual family who are seeing lives change. So let's unpack each of those statements. First of all, we're Jesus-centred. At the end of the day, everything that we want to do as a church ultimately comes back to Jesus. We want to be able to focus on him, understand what he was all about, how he lived his life, what he taught us, what was important to him, and the impact of his death and his resurrection on how we can live our lives. So as a church, that's what we want to do. Week after week after week, it's just keep coming back to who's Jesus and what has Jesus done for us. And so that's why we gather around the communion table every week, this crucial, important symbol for us to say this is why we do what we do. At the end of the day, we want to listen to Jesus and we want to follow him. We want to centre our lives on Jesus individually and collectively when we're together. So our key goal that we're going to talk more about next week as we talk about being Jesus-centred is that as a church we want to help people take their next steps in their walk with Jesus. Discipleship can be a little bit overwhelming at times as we think about all the different ways that we could become more like Jesus. I know when I stop and think about all of the rough edges that I've got and all of the things that I know in my life aren't quite reflecting Jesus, it gets a little intimidating. Discipleship is simply about putting one foot in front of the other and saying, what's my next step in my walk with Jesus? Knowing that after that, there's another step, and then another step, and another step, and that's the journey of our lives. And so as a church, we want to create opportunities for people to take those next steps in their walk with Jesus. As I said, we'll talk about that more next week. So that's crucial to us as we talk about making disciples, is that we want to be Jesus-centered. Secondly, we want to be spiritual family. And so we recognise that family is a word that can be a little bit loaded. Lots of us have had challenging situations in our families at different times in our lives. I would argue that all of us have levels of dysfunction in our families, one way or another. Um, But some of us, family has actually been really, really hard. But every single one of us have a really clear picture of what we know family should be. We know that family should be a place where you're accepted for who you are where you don't have to put on an act and pretend to be something that you're not, where you're loved and embraced unconditionally. Family should be this place that feels like home, that feels like a place where you belong. Family should be a place where you receive support and encouragement, a place where you have people who you know are cheering you on and who are there to celebrate with you in the good times and there to mourn with you in the difficult times. Family is also supposed to be a place where you're challenged to be the best that you can be. You're accepted for who you are with all of your flaws and all the stuff that's not quite right, but you're challenged to continue to grow and to develop into the person that God created you to be. And so for us as a church, those are the things that we aspire to as well. We want to be a spiritual family where people feel like they're accepted and loved, where this is home, this is a place they feel like they belong, where people are accepted for who they are, not for what they do, where they don't feel like they have to put on an act, but where we can just be real and be ourselves. A place where we receive support and encouragement, where we can celebrate the good times and cry together in the difficult times. And a place where we are challenged to be the best that we can possibly be. Now, are we perfect in that? 
Certainly not, because we're all people, and so we all make mistakes. And so that's a part of the challenge of being family, is that in a healthy family, when stuff comes up, you deal with it, and then you move forward. And so we don't get this right all the time, but in those times that we don't, we try to then move forward, offer forgiveness, and be able to become the best version of spiritual family that we can be. So in two weeks from now, we're going to talk more about what spiritual family looks like and what that means to us. However, our goal within that is that we want to grow as a spiritual family. That's our goal for this year, is that we want to grow, and we mean that a couple of ways. First of all, one of the key things we're going to talk about this year is the importance of spiritual family. How crucial it is, especially to a lot of people who don't have support networks around them, who are just battling through life on their own, we want to be able to say spiritual family is a great place to have some people who are with you in your journey as you're processing through all the things that you're processing. So we'll talk more about what that looks like, but our hope and our desire is that we have new people who join our community as we go through this year. Our hope is also, though, that we grow as a spiritual family, that we grow in our understanding of what it means to be spiritual family, that we have some great times together as spiritual family, hanging out together, having some laughs, creating some memories, and growing in our sense of connectedness together. We'll talk more about that in a couple of weeks. So, as we talk about making disciples, we're a Jesus-centred spiritual family. That's how we would articulate who we are as a church. But then we've got this third piece, which is that we're passionate about seeing lives change. We believe that all of us are created in God's image so that we reflect who God is. But that within that, God wants us to continue to grow and develop and become more and more like what that reflection actually is. That our lives are all about being constantly transformed and changed into God's likeness. So as a church, we want to help people go on that journey. And we want to encourage each other when we see people taking those steps. It's very intentional language. We didn't say that we are here as a church to change people's lives because we recognise God's the one ultimately who changes people's lives. We have the privilege as a church of creating environments where that can happen and being able to be excited when we see it happening. But we're seeing lives change, seeing that transformation happen as we follow Jesus together. So our goal for this year is that we regularly want to share some stories about the ways in which that's happening. And we're not talking about the big stories of transformation where someone's life is tipped upside down and everything's suddenly different. We want to just on a regular basis share those choices, those decisions that we're making, those moments where we do things that we do because we're following Jesus and to be able to call those things out and to be able to celebrate that stuff and to be able to be encouraged and inspired about what it looks like for us to see people's lives changed. We also want to talk about the stories of transformation that are happening in the community around us. So not just focusing on what's happening with us as a church, but who are the people who are making a difference in the neighbourhoods that are around our church? We're going to hear some of those stories as we go through this year as well. So when we talk about being a church who make disciples, that's it. We want to be a Jesus-centred spiritual family who are seeing lives change. And so my question for you as we head into this year is, are you excited about that? Does that stir you at all? Because for me, it really gets my blood pumping. When I think about what it looks like for us to be a community of people who follow Jesus together and who centre on him and follow him, a group of people who get the privilege of being able to be spiritual family together, a group of people who we are regularly seeing stories of transformation happening, that's awesome. 
That's really, really exciting. So I hope that as we head into this year that you're excited about that vision for us as a church as well. Because here's the challenge for us. If we're not excited about that, why would anyone else be? And we've talked about through last year, and we'll talk about it more this year as well, that our culture around us has shifted significantly. And we can't anymore just be churches that put a sign up and hope that people will show up and become a part of our church family. Church is not on the radar for a lot of people because they really don't understand what church is all about. They don't really understand about who Jesus is. So if we, as people who are passionate about what God is doing and what church is and making disciples, then we need to tell people about that because that's the only way that we're going to see people engage with the things that we're doing. So as we step into this year, my hope and my prayer is that we are excited about this picture of what it means for us to be church together, to make disciples together. So as we wrap up and move into a time of communion, I want to ask you this question. And on your teaching notes, there is an opportunity for you to write something down if that's helpful. But as we wrap up our message today, I want to ask you whether there's someone that is on your heart for you to pray for as we head into this year. As we talk about this idea of making disciples, we talk about this idea of going as we go out into the week, out into the world, out into the things that we do. Is there someone that you have in your life who you would love to see this year take their next step or their next couple of steps in their walk with Jesus? It could be a neighbour, it could be a friend, it could be a family member. If there's someone who, as I say that, just their name pops into your head, I would love you to write their name down on your piece of paper. And make a commitment to say regularly throughout this year, I'm just going to pray for opportunities for that person to be able to discover more about who Jesus is. All that that looks like is maybe every couple of days, maybe every day, to be able to say, God, I pray that that person would know that you're at work in their life and I pray you would help me to know if there's an opportunity to be able to serve them and tell them more about you. It's as simple as that. What happens over and over again in churches is that when we commit to doing that, we suddenly discover that all of these strange, weird things start to happen where we get these opportunities to connect with the people around us, to serve them, to show them what God's love looks like in practical ways. Now, not all of those people are going to want to become a part of our church or get involved in the things that we're doing. That's perfectly fine. We don't do this because the goal is to make them become part of our church. We do it because we want to show them God's love. So is there one person that you can commit to praying for as we head into this year? If there is, I'd love you to write their name down. And if there isn't, then I'd encourage you to simply start praying, God, give me someone who I can pray for. And again, then keep your eyes open. It could be a neighbour, it could be a friend, it could be someone who's a part of your family, or it could be someone who's a part of some of the ministries that we're connected with that we're going to talk more about as we go. Wouldn't it be incredible If as we go through this year, we started to pray and started to see these awesome opportunities for people to recognise that God's at work in their lives and that some of those people then do make decisions to say, yes, I want to follow Jesus. I want to become a disciple. We see some of those people go through the waters of baptism, become a part of our church community. How amazing would it be to get to the end of this year and be able to celebrate those stories of the people that we've written down their names today to be able to think about them moving forward in their journey as we go through this year. 
So we're going to transition now into a time of communion. And so those who are helping with communion, I'll invite them to come forward. Katie is on her way as well, so she's just <laughs> taking one of the other kids out. Today, I wanted to do something very intentional in serving communion. I wanted to involve some of our kids in what we're doing, but also involve some parents in what we're doing as well. And to me, this is a really beautiful symbol of who we are as a church family, that we are multi-generational, that we have all of these different ages and stages that are represented, and together we get to symbolically gather around this table. This is Jesus' table that we are invited to. And so it's a huge privilege to be able to have these amazing young people and these amazing little bit older people that some of us are as a part of our church family and for us to be able to step into another year. We've said that over the next couple of months, we're going to intentionally finish our time together gathering around this table. Because what we want to do is be able to reflect Say, God, what have you been saying to me as we've made our way through today? What have you been saying to me through the songs, through our family time, through scripture, through the messages that's been unpacked? What are you saying to me? To be able to remember who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us, and then to be able to respond. And this is a part of why I think it's helpful for us to have it at the end, to be able to say, this is where we land. That now, as Jesus says, as we go out into this week, we've got an opportunity to be able to gather around his table to remember and reflect on what he said to us and then to respond and say, Jesus, as I go into this week, this is what I want to be able to focus on. Today we've talked a lot about the Great Commission, this beautiful set of instructions that Jesus gave to his first disciples And it's good for us to pause and recognise that then generation after generation after generation, century after century, people have gathered together and done this to remember Jesus and to remember his instructions for us that as we go, we go to make disciples, apprentices of Jesus. As a church, over the decades, we have done the same thing. We've gathered week after week after week to be able to stop, to reflect and remember and respond. And so as we head into this year, we've got another opportunity to say, Jesus, what does it look like for us to make disciples this year, given the relationships that we've got, given the neighbourhoods around us, the people who are around us? What does it look like for us to fulfil the Great Commission? So as you take communion this morning, I want to encourage you to do two things. First of all, to say thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that you have done all of this for us. And thank you, Jesus, that we get to live on in this amazing legacy of people we've made disciples through the ages. But then I want to encourage you to say symbolically, as I take the bread and as I take the juice, I'm saying, Jesus, I want more of you in my life. That as I start this year, as we jump into what 2019 looks like for us as a church community, I want you to be the one who fuels me, Jesus. I want you to be the one who gives me the energy, the passion, the gifting, the equipping, everything that I need to live the way that you want me to live. And so I take this in symbolically today to say thank you for that, but also help me to live for you. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll take time to be able to share in these elements together. Let's pray. Jesus, 
Jesus, we do thank you that we gather around your table today, that it's your invitation that draws us here. It's not because of us as a church, it's not because of me, it's because of you. And so we take a moment to be able to centre ourselves again on who you are and what you have done and what you have taught us and what it means for us to live as the people that you want us to be. We thank you for the privilege that it is to be able to stop and to remember that you gave your life for the mission that God had for you. We take this bread symbolically remembering that your body was thrown fully into the mission that God had for you so that you could get to the point of saying it is finished, that you had completed the work that God had for you to do. We take this juice as a reminder that your blood was poured out for us as one final sacrifice so that no more is it about what we do but it's simply about trusting in who you are. And so as we take the bread and we take the juice, our prayer today is that you would help us to express our gratitude and then to be able to say, Jesus, we want more of you in our lives. All of us are in different places in our spiritual journey, but for all of us there's an opportunity for you to act and work in that transformation in our life. So as we take communion today, we take the opportunity to be able to reflect on these things. In your name we pray. Amen. So when the bread comes, please feel free to tear a piece off and uh, eat it at a time that's right for you after you've spent some time reflecting.